Let's start with a, a true story from the life of Gandhi. A mother had traveled several hours to see him so that he could speak to her son, and then she had to wait hours in line to talk to him. And when she got to the front of the line, he asked how he could help. She said, could you tell my son to stop eating sugar? It's bad for him, and he gets hyperactive when he has it, and he doesn't listen. And she said, could you just tell him to stop eating sugar? And Gandhi said, come back in two weeks. And so two weeks passes, and she comes back again, travels hours to reach him, waits in line, gets to the front of the line, says, remember me. He says, yes, pulls the son forward and says, don't eat sugar, and sends him on his way. The mother is surprised, looks at Gandhi and says, well, why didn't you just tell him that two weeks ago? And Gandhi said, because two weeks ago, I was still eating sugar myself. A great story and an illustration of that leaders lead the way before they expect other people to do something. And so Ghani was somebody who was a leader who understood that life, leadership for ourselves is to see things as they are, but not worse than they are. As Tony Robbins says, we are scared of being hurt. We are scared of the economy. We are scared of not being in control. And now we are even scared of each other. In times of uncertainty, leadership is the most valuable skill you can have. Leaders do what's right, not what's popular. We're going to look at some things today in regards to our culture, the, you know, the, the disagreements, the upsets, the division, the hurts, the redefining definitions and things like that and say, what is our role as believers in a time like this? You know, the Declaration of Independence, we all know it says we hold these truths to be self-evident. But if you look at the original draft by Thomas Jefferson, he said we hold these truths to be sacred. Gives it a different flavor, doesn't it? When we stop and say truth is sacred, and the truth he went on to say is everybody, because God is their creator, has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But all of it, all of it was based upon the sacred truth that God is. You know, John Templeton back in the Great Depression, you know, when everybody else was fearful, he stepped away and said, you can't live in fear. The decisions made in fear are always wrong. And John Templeton said this, crises either crushes you or it creates a breakthrough. And what he did in the 1930s is he borrowed money and he used his own money as well, went to the New York Stock Exchange and bought thousands of stocks of all these stocks where their shares were under a dollar. And once the economy turned around and those shares went up, he made a fortune. Because again, he understood that crises can crush you or they can create a breakthrough. So let's look at a verse out of Acts chapter 4 where John and Peter are in a crisis, but they're about to have a breakthrough because they know in whom they have believed and they say, you know, truth is sacred. And that sacred truth is built upon Christ who is the same yesterday, today, for always. Acts chapter 3 and 4 is the story. I'm sure most people are very familiar. Peter and John walk by the gate. The man's paralyzed at the gate. He asks them for money, and Peter says, Look at me, silver and gold, I have none. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. We're told the man stands up. He walks. He runs. He dances. He begins to worship and celebrate God. A crowd begins to gather. They find out what happens. They begin to celebrate and worship God. And then the religious authorities and the Sanhedrin show up. And they grab John and Peter and they told them not to speak in this name, the name of Jesus, this one who was crucified, and to stop talking about the resurrection. And so they were arrested, spent the night in prison. The next day, they're in front of the court. And Peter says, let me tell you something. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, one of these sacred truths... We are 
firmly grounded in. Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Everything that's taking place in the world, in our culture, the answer for us comes back to the same promise. There is salvation found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Great example of that. I read the story here recently. Andrew Claven, popular writer, number of novels, wrote a number of books as well. He wrote a book recently uh, of how he went from being an atheist to a Christian. Grew up with parents that were atheists. He married an atheist. Her parents were atheists. Spent most of his life that way. But he also said a couple things changed for him, radically shaping a, a new outlook on life. He grew up with a very abusive father, and he told his father he wanted to be a writer. His father mocked him, said that was dumb, always insulted him. Andrew would share if he started to write using a typewriter or a pen and paper, whichever it was. His dad, as soon as he saw him or heard him, would turn the TV on full blast, turn the radio on full blast, start vacuuming, start hammering nails into the wall to hang pictures, anything he could do to interrupt his son. And once Andrew became a teenager, graduated, went to college, his father would also call him there, leave messages for him to remind him that you're a nobody, you'll never be anything. Andrew became, you know, this husband. He's grown up now many years outside of his home, almost 50 years old, and his brother had a nervous breakdown. Let's read what he wrote. In my brother's pain, I saw myself. My childhood had been miserable my upbringing twisted and hostile, my view of reality completely unreal. Something was wrong inside me. Something was terribly wrong. I needed help. He found a, a compassionate counselor that helped him to see that there is healing and love that, that can be you know, found in a moment. Next thing he said is that uh, he and his wife, they had their first child. And he said, when you see the miracle of birth, you find it hard to just remain an atheist. So he thought, I'll give prayer a chance to see maybe there is a God. He said, I'll pray five minutes a day. Found it enjoyable. Moved it to 10 minutes. Then it became 15 up to an hour. Eventually, he said, I gave my life to Christ. He became baptized, and he's now written about that faith. But there's something that he shared that really moved him was a Christian baseball player who was injured during a game, but he kept playing. And he said, you know, this guy was interviewed after the game. How did you keep playing with the injury? And this player said, sometimes you just have to play in the pain. And that sort of became his, his motto for Andrew Clavin. Sometimes you just have to play in the pain. And when he moved through the pain of his father's abuse, moved through the depression, moved through his fears, there he found the open arms of Christ. This is one of those statements here by a man named Les Brown, but to write this down, whether you're here this morning, you're listening on the radio, whatever it is, to, to write this down and, and let this become ingrained in your heart. One of the more profound things said, Les Brown's a popular speaker and an author, and he simply stated this, if our culture could hear something at this time, if maybe you in your own life, me in my life, maybe it's a personal situation, what he says here, Les Brown if you want to keep getting what you are getting, keep doing what you are doing. If you want to keep getting what you're getting, keep doing what you are doing. So let's look at some examples of people 
that decided to do things differently. You know, Hudson Taylor, one of the first missionaries to China in the 1800s says, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. I love Ron Moore shares an example of seeing things and doing things differently. Again, leaders are the ones who lead the way. And Ron Moore, a missionary to Thailand, he was trying to reach this certain village with the gospel. And one day the chief said to him, because there was this massive just plague of grasshoppers destroying crops. And the chief said, listen, you guys have crops. We don't believe in Christianity. We have crops. I tell you what, you pray to God. And if he delivers your crops out of the, the you know mouths of these grasshoppers, I'll lead this entire village to believe what you share about Jesus. So Ron Moore said for the next three weeks, he prayed and the body of Christ prayed. And he said his heart sunk when he came back to this village. And he looked at the non-believers fields, still decimated by grasshoppers. And he looked at the fields the Christians had planted and they were covered with grasshoppers. He said until he looked closer. And then the fields where the non-believers had planted these crops, the grasshoppers were eating everything, including the rice. And he looked at the fields the Christians had planted and the grasshoppers didn't touch the rice. They were only eating the weeds. Not only that, they were providing fertilization for the ground. And so the crops began to be even more healthy. And there was this tremendous coming to Christ because again, we serve the one that name where there is no one comparable and no other name under heaven whereby we might be saved. William Wilmore said, prayer plus praise equals deliverance. One of the surest ways to overcome your prison experience is to learn the secret of praising God in the midst of your pain. In 1920, Frank Borham wrote a book called Texts That Made History. Went through movements in history and especially significant historical figures who shared a verse that became their rock in their life. So for instance, David Livingston shared Matthew 28, 20, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That was the verse he based his life on going off to Africa by himself. In fact, people tried to stop him, said it's dangerous. And he read that verse leaving on the boat and said, the man who said that's a gentleman. So let us be going. John Wesley shared Zechariah 3, 2. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Because John Wesley, as a child, his house was set on fire and he was rescued out of those flames. Perhaps one we spoke about many times is the more well-known is Martin Luther. His verse, Romans 1, 17, the righteous will live by faith. For Luther, one of the stunning moments in his life in the 1500s, he went to Rome, and there in Rome are what's known as the Holy Stairs, believed to have been transported in the 4th century from Jerusalem, and it said these are the stairs Jesus stood on when he faced Pilate at trial. And in Rome, people climb those stairs on their hands and knees, and they utter a prayer of repentance at each step go to the next step on their hands and knees, have a prayer of repentance. There's weeping and wailing. And so, you know, in the 1500s, Martin Luther, he started to crawl up these steps as well. 
And as he did that, hands and knees crawling in agony and having these prayers of repentance, in his mind he remembered the just shall live by faith. He went up the next step and had this prayer of repentance, and you heard the just shall live by faith. Same thing happened at the next step. He finally looked around and he said, everybody here, including me, is living in fear. The just don't live in fear. The just live by faith. And he stood up from those steps and he declared the just shall live by faith. And the chains fell off, the the shackles were loosed, and he had this tremendous freedom. And he said that was the turning point of his life from a a fear of judgment to saying, you know what, I know in whom I have believed. And he is able to keep that which I've entrusted into his hands until that day. There's an incredible just illustration that comes out uh, of India and could be said for what's taking place today but could be said for decisions we make in our own lives. And it's known as the, the cobra effect. And it shows, again, if we lean on human wisdom only, what can that look like? And what happened in India when British, when Britain controlled the, the government, they said there's too many cobras in India, so they said they'll pay people to capture cobras, turn them in, and they'd be paid for each cobra they turned in. And that way they would eliminate the cobra population. And so people got wise to this and said, listen, you don't have to risk your life and health trying to catch a cobra. We can raise them in our living rooms. And so they began to raise them in these aquariums and they'd bring all these cobras then to the government and say, I caught these, but pretty soon the government caught on to what was being done. And so they said, we will no longer pay you to bring us a cobra. So all these people had these cobras they were raising in these aquariums in their homes and they said these are not worth money anymore, and so they released the cobras back into the wild, and now there are more cobras than ever. And the cobra effect occurs when an attempted solution to a problem actually makes the problem worse. Fascinating. Sometimes our our best efforts simply produce more problems. That's why we have to come back and say, you know what, there are so many opinions today There are people redefining terms and definitions. There are people discarding truth. And we stop and say, we hold truth to be sacred. And sacred begins with the truth of who Christ is, that there is no other name given under heaven whereby men may be saved. In the 1700s, Seraphim Serov in Russia, theologian, penned these words, a little bit different wisdom where he said you can simply look at what the creator has created and draw wisdom from that. He said this, Drink water from the spring where horses drink. The horse will never drink bad water. Lay your bed where the cat sleeps. Eat the fruit that has been touched by a worm. Boldly pick the mushroom on which the insect sits. Plant the tree where the mole digs. Swim often and you'll feel on earth like the fish in the water. Look at the sky as often as possible and your thoughts will become light and clear. Perhaps most important for our day, he said this, be quiet a lot, speak little, and silence will come into your heart and your spirit will be calm and filled with peace. So let's talk about another example here of what it looks like when people sometimes make the decisions simply aren't best. This is from Rice Brooks, who shared, what could you do with a trillion dollars? Think about this. He said, you could feed the world 
for $30 billion a year. You could provide clean water and sanitation for $100 billion a year. On top of that, every dollar spent on clean water and sanitation saves $7 in health care. So that means if we spent $100 billion on clean water and sanitation, we would save $700 billion. And clean water and sanitation, that would include that $100 billion if you had to move cities because you couldn't get water to them that was clean. So feed the world for $30 billion, provide clean water and sanitation for $100 billion. And Rice Brooks says, why don't we? And that's a great question. And the reason is something is broken in the human condition. You see, we spend money on so many things because often what we decide is not based upon sacred truth. And that's why now more than ever, we have to be the ones who say leadership is about showing people the way, leading by example, to go first and to show people what is possible. To recognize and to declare and live in the promise that salvation is found in no one else. I love this here. Something else to write down from Dr. Chris Kandaya, theologian from the United Kingdom. The gospel is bigger than you think. It's the answer to all things. You know, courts can punish a person for a crime, but only Christ can transform the heart of a criminal. And if you go back to the first century, you know, Rome did not invent crucifixion. They perfected the process, though. And it became a symbol of terror. And Jesus took that symbol, transformed it into a symbol of victory, love, redemption. You know, most people know Charles Dickens for A Tale of Two Cities and A Christmas Carol. What you may not know is he wrote another book, the final one of his life. And the book is entitled The Life of Our Lord. He could write so well because his father was in debtor's prison. He was cast out on the street as a child. The horrors he experienced there became the basis on how he could write. And his stories actually transformed cultures to say, let's rescue children off the street. But his last book was about following Jesus because his life, he wanted to be a reformer of culture and that's what he was. But the most important thing he said, if you see things in my books, especially Scrooge, who was one of the most wonderful characters of redemption, he said, my greatest illustrations are drawn from my faith in Christ and from the New Testament. You see, that's the difference again. Somebody that can simply say the gospel, it is bigger than you think. So I close here with the story of Jim McElroy, a missionary in the Philippines. One day he was called to a a village. He walks into a hut with a friend. There is an infant there that is deathly ill. They sure the child is not nursed in days. He, He was lifeless as they looked at the child. And Jim turned to the friend with him and he said, I didn't know we were coming here for a medical reason. I don't have any medicine to you. And the friend said, no. And he said, what do you think we should do? And Jim said, well, let's pray. And they began to pray. 
And he says, as they did, suddenly his child opened its eyes. The collar returned, the collar returned to his skin. It started to nurse. They began to celebrate and thank God, but he said it was a week before Easter. So the following Sunday, he's preaching in another village, and it's outdoors, and suddenly there's this commotion coming up over the hill, and he looks, and he sees it's that woman carrying that baby. And behind her, there were over 20 people because they understood now and saw a living example of the promise there is salvation found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And the world is desperate for leaders to to show the way, living their life in Christ. And the reality is, if you want to keep getting what you're getting, keep doing what you're doing. But if you want to see things new, you want to start fresh and begin again and know what it is to live in victory and Jesus recognize the gospel is bigger than you think.